0: Hi, I'm Debbie Georgettis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about D-Day, the brave fought evil that day, today's evils that we must fight, A New York City Yale psychiatrist urges killing white people, and Neiman Marcus and defending America today. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Well, yesterday, as almost everyone listening likely knows, was the 77th anniversary of D-Day, the invasion at the beaches of Normandy by the Allied troops to free Europe from the rampaging Nazis. I sent Matt the Wonderful uh, just one slide, probably many of you saw this kind of slide, but I wanted to show you the picture, the contrast. So your day at the beach at the top, which is what a lot of people do over Memorial Day weekend um, and any other summer weekend, they head off to the beaches Uh, And this is brought to you by their day at the beach, which is a picture of the American troops leaving one of the vessels that brought them up to the shores of Normandy. And as you likely know, uh, at the shores of Normandy, of course, there were um, just catastrophic loss of of human life. I mean, and the thing I wanna point out about this, there had to be that confrontation. There had to be some place where the free world, which led by America and England, other places, stood up against the tyranny of the nazis and it was you know the german nazis it was japan it was italy it was a bunch of countries but the actual intended it sounds almost uh, farcical now given the realities of today's world but those countries actually thought they could take over the whole world they were actually going to control the whole world and they were successful in large part because of thinking like neville chamberlain in england who believed he had negotiated something with Hitler, where he came back waving his you know, napkin, a piece of a napkin on which uh, Hitler said, Oh, you want me to promise I won't invade England? Sure, I'll do that. You know, sign, 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 sure. Peace in our time. The foolishness of a Neville Chamberlain in England and many others around the world, the notion that somehow you can negotiate with evil and then, you know, evil will keep the deal with you, actually ends up killing and injuring more people because you can't negotiate with evil, you have to crush it, you have to destroy it. The only way that Hitler's rampaging Nazis and his uh, Axis powers were going to be stopped was by brute, violent military force. Nothing less was going to stop them. And this is what, I, I don't have the numbers I thought I had in front of me, I don't, but the numbers of lives lost, American troops lost that day, and troops of other uh, countries, too, uh, lost at the beaches of Normandy on that very first invasion day. But the point was, those people getting off that boat, those soldiers who were climbing off you know, out of the back of the boat, through the water, up to the shore, they, most of them had to know, I'm probably going to die today. They, they had to know it. They were told that. In fact, there was one famous statement, you know, you think you might die today? It's a good day for it. It was one of the American uh, leaders just saying, yeah, this is what war involves. And you get to this rubber meets the road end of this you know uh, the um you know the way to stand up against and stop evil yes people are going to die it was horrible day and one that you know we honor and because we are on the sacrifice of all of those soldiers who lost their lives and who knew going in the far most likely the most likely outcome by far was they were going to lose their life that day but if you didn't do it if you didn't stand up against evil the world could fall eventually, as the Nazis planned, under the control of the Axis powers. They actually thought they could do that. And so, you know, there was a, uh, yesterday, many, many people put out tweets. I don't really tweet, but but I put things up on Facebook. Tweet, Facebook, statements out about what happened on D-Day, remembering this 77 years ago and all the young men lost their lives. One interesting thing was that President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris somehow failed in this world of ubiquitous tweets to remember to acknowledge D-Day. I mean, they're probably doing catch up today, but the people who advise them, I mean, I'm not saying Joe Biden and Kamala Harris themselves, because I don't know how much they actually have interaction on their own Twitter feeds, but they do, they do tweet, which is the, kind of the modern way of putting out an instant statement, instant reaction, no commentary on D-Day. And so it's not just that those two didn't put it, but whoever really advises, President Biden and Vice President Harris, whoever advises them is like, did they not know? I mean, they're probably average age of you know, 27. It never occurred to them that there were actually many Americans who still, either some are still around who were there that day in Normandy, or at least were in America knowing what was happening, uh, and their families, their descendants of today, just oblivious, clueless, Failure to acknowledge what an enormously consequential day that was, and the rest of the war was, in beating back the claims of evil, beating back the forces of evil. That's what it took back then. And so in wrapping up this first five, I want to say their sacrifices, their victories, the ultimate victory um, of America and the allies, of the people who were going to stop the evil that was spreading throughout the world. Obligation of people in this era in our time today, beside honoring those who made all that sacrifice, is to honor the real reason they made that sacrifice. It really wasn't because everyone in the world was deeply morally opposed to speaking German. We all could learn the German language, I guess, or we could learn German and Japanese. I mean, there were reasons that you could say, well, you know, what difference does it make who's in charge? It wasn't just that Germany was going to be in charge and and, and the Allied, the Axis powers. It was that they were going to take away the idea of freedom in the world. They were going to suppress and repress and destroy, demolish the idea of freedom in the world. Everyone was going to be beholden to the powers of evil. Everyone. That was the goal, that's the idea. It wasn't just Hitler wanted to be in charge of the world for a few years, and when he died, you know, they let it all go back to normal. It was to end the world as they knew it. It was to end sovereign nations as they knew it. It was to end America as as the world knew it. America, the single sole extraordinary example in human history of a country founded and rooted on the ideas of, we have, of having rights from God, freedoms, God-given freedoms, which our founding documents talk about. America found on a country, found on those ideas, those ideas were inconsistent with the totalitarian control that the Nazis or Axis powers thought they'd have over the world. So you had those soldiers perishing on the beaches of Normandy and throughout the entire uh, arena of war in World War II. But they really weren't fighting just about the geography, about the land. They were fighting about the ideas, the idea of the right to freedom and in our time in this era in 2021 we have similar duties as americans to stand up for the same ideas that those people on the beaches of normandy were standing up for they were standing up for the idea of the right to live in liberty the right not to have totalitarian control over your life the right to live in a society with fair and free elections with the bill of rights the promises of the freedoms that are spread, that are contained in the bill of rights The promises of of an orderly government with rule of law, constitutional structure, the whole thing that made America unique, extraordinary, great, and free, that's what those people were defending on the beaches of Normandy. Our job in defending them today is to recognize what today's evils are. What are the evils today that are the same kind of threat? They're not bombs and bullets. They're not airplanes flying overhead and dropping bombs but we are in America engaged in a war over whether or not we're gonna hold on to America the free in this era facing different enemies, and that's what we'll talk about next, and that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So what I want to talk about, where we are in America, today's evils we must fight. You know, uh, I've talked so often on this show about America as a country of ideas and founded on ideas, and and ideas make all the difference uh, in the world. I mean, these are ideas like, you know, you have, as the Declaration of Independence, recounts and is speaking, actually, of every person on the planet Earth who has ever lived. That's what they were talking about in the Declaration of Independence, that we all are created equal, have rights from our creator. I always add the words, simply because we were born. That's the implication. Because you exist, you have rights from God. And the point of government is to protect those rights, is to keep your rights safe, to keep you free, allow you to live your life in freedom. That's what America really is. And so the threats to those today, I mean, we have the threat of communist China and their expansionism. And we'll be talking this week, actually two different days about the threat of China's expansionism and conduct in the world. Uh, Tomorrow we have a fabulous guest joining us uh, by Skype named Reggie Littlejohn. She's going to be talking about her work in China. She has extraordinary work in China her work in China, and her current project to try to convince the world to pull the Olympics out of China because of China's oppressive, evil treatment. Of its own citizens, most especially the Uyghurs. So she's joining us tomorrow, Thursday, on our members-only show. We have Gordon Chang joining us, and you, if you listen to my show very often or pay attention to, to uh, national news very often, you've probably heard of Gordon Chang. He's an extraordinary expert in America on uh, China's history, its military, its governmental philosophy, its communist, the Communist Party, and the Communist Party of China's role in America today. He covers all that. It's going to be a great show on Thursday. If you're not a member of this show, you have time to join by then. Go to americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org. And on the homepage, there's a member's uh, word across the top. Hit that. You get to join. You join $5 a day, excuse me, $5 a month or $50 a year. It's a great deal. And on Thursday, you'll be able to listen to the Gordon Chang interview. Trust me, it'll be extraordinary. He is a fount of knowledge about China. The back to where we are today and the evils we face today, besides China as one major external threat to America, and it is, and Russia's second tier, but you know Russia's not so hot either. They're not, they're not our friends really. Um, but what we have internally in America is are really the most significant, dangerous evils America faces, and they're right here at home, right here in our territory. And they're threats from within by American citizens and people in power who simply do not embrace, love, and support those founding ideas, founding principles of our right to live in freedom. You have more and more policies emerging out of Washington that are genuinely Marxist in nature, Marxist, not in these, I mean, people overuse that term and they throw it around flamboyantly or uh, capriciously, I don't do that. but. The idea that the kind of powers the federal government is thinking they're going to exercise over us, they fall in the camp of Marxism. If they get their way with the Green New Deal and other plans that the American left has in mind or the anti-American left has in mind, These are Marxist ideas. They will control where you live, where you can build your house, how you can build your house, what kind of car you can have, what kind of education you can have. The left is hell-bent on turning America into a Marxist country. That's the number one evil threat we face. There is an overwhelming effort to racialize America, to divide America along the lines of race, and literally to lie to the American people about America's history, our very founding ideas, our very culture of liberty to lie to the American people for the very purpose of keeping us divided. Critical race theory, all sorts of social justice warrior garbage out there is part of this effort to just convince people that America itself is a bad country filled with evil people and you need the government to take control and get control of all of that. So there's a critical race theory and more overarchingly the racialization of America. You have the absolute effort by the American left to destroy free and fair elections in America by passing the most odious piece of legislation related to elections that has ever been on the table in Washington, DC. We were calling HR1, now it's S1. It is the absolute federal takeover of all elections mandating the kinds of tactics that, that have been used for the purpose of cheating. The most dishonest election tactics and practices will be mandated by this. This is a threat to the very core of freedom of America. So you have HR1, you have the Marxism, threats to federal elections, radical racialization. Um, You have all sorts of conversation uh, going on in America about limiting uh, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. You have the uh, conglomerate left of the social media companies shutting down free speech, locking arms of people in Washington who agree they don't want Certain kinds of speech to be permitted. You have people, for example, in the Biden administration saying that they're going to uh, change regulation that defines domestic terrorism, and domestic terrorism will be defined to include people who dare to challenge the 2020 election cycle, challenge the elections. A a conversation could be criminal domestic terrorism in the way the left is handling this, Uh, the, the right, the keep and bear arms, the second amendment. All of these rights that woven together have kept America free and strong are under assault from the American left. Following an election where many people are concerned that there were election out there, were election uh, fraud, election irregularities that, that raise serious questions about the actual outcome of the election. So, if you want to defend America, you need to be brave, just like the people were who getting off that boat and getting into the water and onto the shores of Normandy. And the threat you face in America, you may not get bombs and bullets, but the left has plenty of extremely effective weapons that do silence people. Mockery, ridicule, canceling, censoring. And I'm gonna give you some examples of how being brave won out in America. I mean, really great examples of how being brave won out in America. Uh, You might remember that uh, for a long time when people were talking about the uh, w- the source of the coronavirus in China that the story the agreed upon story that got settled on was oh yeah you know came from the bats you know transmitted bats to humans somehow naturally occurring not a weapon and some brave voices said you know I don't think so I, I think we need to look at this Wuhan lab we need to look at whether or not the coronavirus came out of that lab and that the, the left mockery machine went into high gear. High gear to mock, ridicule, uh, and just censor even doctors and professionals who were saying, Actually, I'm pretty sure this looks like it was man made. I don't think this was from the bats. But it took brave people, brave scientists, brave pundits, brave people to speak up and say, You know what, actually, I don't have to just salute to your announcement that coronavirus came from the bats. I don't have to believe that, that COVID came from the bats. I don't have to believe that. I think it might have come from the lab, and very recently only, because of the newly released emails of Dr. Fauci's, has it now become obvious that it did come from the lab, not from bats in the fish market, but from the lab. and so much evidence has been out there about that that now even facebook has changed its censoring plan and saying well if all you're talking about is the source of the virus and the virus maybe came from the wuhan lab then you're not going to be uh, removed your posting won't be removed so even they're starting to say but the point i'm making here is it took brave people to keep on saying no i'm not going to just salute to your announced uh, facts, your narrative that this coronavirus came from bats. Similarly, and many examples of bravery in America today, many examples of bravery come from the Florida governor, uh, Ron DeSantis. Um, but, but one more thing before I get on to the uh, coronavirus thing, uh, that the bravery has now emerged. Uh, one is, um, now former people are speaking out like former FDA commissioner says that Fauci briefed the world leaders on a potential lab leak a year ago. A year ago, there was a, a, um, a gentleman who was a uh, researcher in California um, a, um, a, a, who reached out to Fauci very, very early on, I think it was February or March of 2020, and said, you know, I actually think this coronavirus thing, um, I think it came from, I think it was from the lab. I don't think it's naturally occurring. I think it's in the lab. And you know what, um, this was a um, the, the, this guy, the one in California, uh, has, there's an email out in the big release of Fauci emails where he said, hey, this is what I think. He, pressured from Fauci, uh, you know, changed his tune and said, okay, you know what, actually, I I was wrong. What was I thinking? You know, it was the bats after all, and went along with a storyline Fauci was trying to push, trying to protect us against focusing at the Wuhan lab, trying to protect himself against America investigating the Wuhan lab. Anyway, that guy in California uh, finally got Surprisingly, after he changed his tune and saluted a Fauci, uh, got a large grant uh, from the NIH. Uh, Who knew? Anyway, but I'm I'm making the point here that the battle for against evil today, it doesn't require uh, yet, or it doesn't require weapons and bombs, but it does require tenacity on insisting on the truth and being brave and being strong. Another great example out of Florida. So originally there was a plan by all these cruise ship companies to say, you know what? Uh, we're not going to resume cruises. And many cruises, people you know, go out on cruises around the world, many cruises uh, go out from Florida. And so you had governed, and, and so that you had talk about the idea that all the cruise lines are going to require people before you can enter the cruise ship to prove you were vaccinated against COVID. Even though it's got a 99% survival rate, there are many efficacious treatments, though, I can't talk about that. There was going to be a requirement of the uh, the the companies who operate cruise ships, to say, "You're gonna, we're gonna require them to have a vaccine. The brave Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida said, uh-uh. Pat got a law passed in Florida saying basically that any cruise line that was going to require this, they were gonna get, and they came into Florida shores, you know, pick up all the people who wanna go on the cruises, uh, it was a, like a $5,000 a day per offense fine from the state of Florida if they even asked people their vaccine status. And so, you know, you, this is Ron DeSantis, who's, he's, you know, governor of Florida. He sees their economy counts on these cruise ships. He sees they have to have people showing up and paying the, the dollars and going to cruise ships and, and that leave port and come back. And then people spend money in Florida. They stay in hotels. They stay in, All the, you know, commerce flows from having the cruise ships coming there. So obviously it's a threat to them to have the cruise ships who first responded by saying, okay, fine, we're not going to come to Florida. We'll go somewhere else, pick people up. But the fact was Ron DeSantis stood strong, stood for freedom, stood for the idea, if you want to pick up people in Florida, you're not going to be asking them the vaccine status. You're not going to be asking for a vaccine passport and you get fined if you do. And the cruise ship companies have now said, you know what, actually, never mind. We'll drop all this stuff about, you know, vaccine passports and vaccine questions. We're fine, we'll, we'll drop it. It took bravery by Ron DeSantis to stand up against what seemed like a pretty darn big bully. But when he stood up and the cruise ships realized they were not going to win this battle with him, and this is, I am not analogizing in its entirety to the Nazi situation, but I will analogize to many, many other situations in life, kind of like Ronald Reagan said, we don't negotiate with terrorists. You can not negotiate with people who are trying to take your freedoms away. You cannot negotiate with them. You don't find a halfway. Ron DeSantis just said, hey, this is wrong. Governor DeSantis, this is wrong. We're not going to do this. We're not doing this to our citizens. We're not having these mandates in place in Florida. And he just said, we're not going to put up with your bullying and your tyrannical behavior. And because he said that, and the cruise ship companies really want to be there after all, they said, okay, okay, never mind. You know, we'll drop that. And he's been brave in other things too. And and this is what I want to get at in this analogy to D-Day is the bravery you have to show today is bravery to stand up for freedom, bravery to call out, the leftist tyranny emerging out of Washington, you have to be brave enough to call it what it is and then stand your ground. Because anytime a tyrannical, tyrannically minded person uh, like any leftist in Washington comes up with a new idea, they think they can bowl the country over, bowl people over by just saying, this is what you're going to do. And most people say, well, okay, I don't really want to make a fuss. I don't want to be arrested. I don't, certainly don't want to be mocked and ridiculed, so I'm just going to surrender. This is what people end up doing surrendering. and you, But then it takes somebody brave like Ron DeSantis. I'm going to guess other governors who are kind of playing Pied Piper and following Ron DeSantis are pretty soon going to find the bravery and say, yeah, actually, I'm with DeSantis. Yeah, that's right. So, anyway. I want to get the idea. The bravery we need today is the kind of stuff that Ron DeSantis does. Similar bravery, or just at least insisting on truth. You remember when that, all these enormous numbers were coming out about COVID, and it was this idea: "My gosh, you know, we just have these massive numbers of, of people dying of COVID." And a few doctors, in fact, one I think he was in Ohio somewhere, spoke up and said, "I'm just going to tell you the truth. The hospitals are getting rewarded." financially rewarded when they put COVID as the cause of death on the death certificate. Doctors, this doctor is saying, I'm telling you, I'm getting from the CDC. Doctors are being instructed to put COVID down as the cause of death if there's any chance that the person had COVID. They may have, you know, unfortunately, perish in a motorcycle accident or any other thing, but if COVID was on the scene, COVID was supposed to be put down as a cause of death. So you had massively inflated false numbers. And so we had Alameda County, California, which is kind of a cool thing. Uh, Alameda County had, um, they actually went back and looked at their numbers because they had posted fairly high numbers um, about about, uh, COVID deaths. And they discovered that actually a lot of what they had recorded and reported as COVID deaths were not. It was like it dropped by 25%. Their death numbers when they actually got honest, but a few. But again, doctors who first spoke up who said, you know, I think these COVID numbers are exaggerated. They were pummeled. They were ridiculed. I remember reading all these, you know, h- highfaluting sources saying, oh, don't listen to these crazy doctors. Who knows what they're talking about? No, no, no. You know, we don't exaggerate. And they were. They were. They were. They were. Okay. So Alameda County had to drop um, their thing, um, and then also. Um, You know, it's a kind of funny thing that's going on inside uh, the Republican Party, because you have, as I mentioned last week, Paul Ryan, who sees himself as some kind of future leader of the Republican Party. You know, you have the Romney Ryan, uh, you know, we're really moderate. We get along with everybody. And, you know, we don't we don't really ever they they want to somehow paint themselves as centrists and not extremists. We're not extremists like the other people over here. You know, we're not leftists, but we're not extremists. And the fact is they end up standing for nothing or if anything romney and ryan end up standing for criticizing the one president who in modern times has stood up against the mob against the mockery mob the left has created and that was donald trump so you had donald trump standing strong speaking strong being tough and you have this this kind of this internal battle in the Republican Party about whether or not we should be the Romney, Ryan type Republicans who say, well, you know, we're all just going to get along. Or you have the Trump Republicans who basically say, we love America. We're standing for the ideas of America. And we stand up and we stand for these ideas. And the left gets hysterical. You know, this is just not our problem. I mean, I mean this is just a you, Rom. I mean, you have the. Uh, Donald Trump and the serious conservatives on their America first agenda, not getting pushed around and bullied by the leftists. And so I really, i tell you a little story because over the weekend here in Texas, we had uh, runoff elections and in the runoff elections, So these are for uh, city council seats, mayor seats, a lot of local races. And so these are ones where we had previous elections. I think I forgot the date, May 1st or something. Anyway, in May. Um, and then this past Saturday, we had the runoffs. And the most interesting things happen in the runoffs. So in Texas, which obviously borders uh, Mexico, we have, along the Texas border, we have numerous towns that are majority Hispanic. I mean, the voting population is, our legal citizens, majority Hispanic. And they have been controlled by Democrats. Democrats win the mayor's races all the time. But the Republicans hung in there this time. And they actually talked about the various the hard issues. they talked about enforcing the border and the importance of citizenship and the importance of having a country with sovereignty and secure borders. They actually talked firmly, or to use Ronald Reagan's bold colors, firm lines, bold colors. And these Republicans, for the first time in a long time, won mayor's races in border towns along the Texas border with Mexico meaning the hispanic vote which everyone's so worried that republicans will lose if they ever talk tough about the border and national security the fact is that hispanic vote went for the republicans um when they're willing to talk truth and i know this i i I called this segment you know this idea about defining evils of today Part of what, in my two sense of what the evils are of today, I talk about the racialization, the abandonment of the protections of the rights in the Bill of Rights. You have the uh, attempted federal takeover of the election system. What you really have at the core evil facing America is a leftist mindset that wants to drive freedom out of our society, drive freedom out as a virtue, mock freedom as unnecessary or frivolous or you know selfish and you have the people who are winning the people who are standing up and fighting are those who have bold colors firm lines speak up the future of the republican party cannot be the Romney Ryan squishy crowd it will never be that it cannot be they cannot win. If you're a squishy moderate Republican and you're hanging around in the center somewhere with with the Democrats, you give the voters no reason to care what you think about, what you're thinking of, what you would do. They don't care. They see you as very similar to the Democrats you're standing next to and you're about this far away from ideologically. Standing off of what is right it was, is what matters. It is not the case that you have to ever embrace a position just to be controversial, just to be, oh, I prove how far right I am. This whole far right, far left labeling I am sick of. The simple fact is, stand with America. Stand with the founding ideas of America. Stand with the freedoms that are, are promised to the American citizens in our founding stand with the idea we have rights from god stand with freedom of speech and religion and the second amendment and all the other amendments stand with free markets stand against marxism stand against government-controlled society stand up for individual freedom stand up against tyrannical federal government regulating your life stand for freedom and the people will stand with you that's what Donald Trump did is why he was so popular it's what the people need to do on our side if they want to continue to win races stand with the ideas of America do not give in to the left saying well that's pretty extreme i mean you really just can't have a you know really secure border that's kind of mean no secure border is good secure border is good citizenship or not citizenship These ideas of standing firm, the people will love you. They will stand with you when you do this. Stand for what is true. Forget labels, forget partisan labels, forget the mockery of the media, the the media mockery mob. Forget about them, say what's true and keep on saying it and we will win. The American people do not want what leftist government is bringing to America. There's already, you can just sense, a growing Biden remorse vote or Biden vote remorse. People are saying, wow, I didn't realize he was gonna do this kind of stuff. Um, speaking of, I, mean, you know, I love my Mondays because I never have a guest on Monday. I call them my deep dive Mondays. I'm gonna, tell, I'm gonna deviate and tell you a story I was reading, which I think is so good and so symbolic about, it's um, just about a lot of things. So the Supreme Court had a case recently and the case involved people who had come to America and they had a, um, a status here uh, see if I even brought the article with me. I probably did not. Uh, yeah, I do. Okay. So the people who came, uh, came to America, and they had some temporary status uh, right to be here. Uh, and the temporary status is called temporary protected status, TPS, temporary protected status. Basically, you fled your homeland, and there's something truly, you know, dangerous to you. So we gave you temporary status here. And so you're supposed to have that temporary status and be protected by it until the danger is gone. And then you have a different category, completely different, called LPS, LPR, Lawful Permanent Resident. It's a different legal avenue, a different legal set of papers, different status and stature to have, but some people are here in America, they're not citizens, but they have this status where they can stay lawfully for life, a lawful permanent resident. So what you had was leftists, Again, diluting the idea of citizenship, diluting the idea of genuine immigration status and citizenship that matters, trying to say, well, you know, these people who are here under temporary protective status, the TPS people, this is Elizabeth Warren's idea that these people who got temporary status to come here, uh, you know, to flee something at home, should be able to kind of transition in to Lawful Permanent Resident, LPR, um, and, then, uh, and, and so they, the question was, could they do this, could they become uh, have part of LPR when they entered America illegally? All of them that got this other status, this temporary protective status, entered America illegally, but they convinced uh, authorities after they got here that they had to stay because of danger. So Liz Warren and all other lefties who just simply want nothing like actual law and order with respect to the border or with respect to a citizenship status were saying, well, yeah, you know, so they entered illegally. You know, they had this, let's just let them be lawful permanent um, residents. Let, let them transition in. And lawful permanent resident requires, as a criteria, that you entered America illegally. These people, by definition, did not enter America illegally. But the most interesting thing about this case, you may say, Well, how does this tie in? But I just loved what happened when the Supreme Court took this case. Because you would think, based on all the other decisions we talked about in the show, how you ended up having the alleged conservative majority, which doesn't really exist in the Supreme Court, that went along one or more of the conservative justices, went along with the lefties who are always in forever about abandoning law, ignore what the law says, ignore what the Constitution says, you know, just, just do what we think is kind of the right thing. That's pretty much the mantra of the people who say they're not strict constitutionalists. They just, they're pretty much, they wouldn't put in those words, those are my words. It's pretty much anything goes. We'll decide what sounds good and we'll make that law. And that's what that left wing, you know, ilk of the court did. But the most amazing thing was the Supreme Court decided nine zero nine zero, And very much an affront to Elizabeth Warren said, no, you can't, Ignore the law, you can't come here, enter illegally, uh, end up being kind of rescued uh, by our uh, temporary protected status law, and then kind of slither your way across the uh, you know across the categories and end up over here in this lawful permanent resident. No, and what was most amazing? First of all, nine O is amazing, but second of all, I'm kind of hoping it might signal a little bit of awareness out of our supreme court justices that we are watching a country descend into lawlessness when you have a u.s senator who's saying sure why not you know what i mean just any status whatever everybody come here everyone can see what the left is doing with abandoning the southern border flooding america full of illegal aliens and of course many of them if they're ever found You know, we get one status and they want to kind of slither their way into the next status, the next status. And lo and behold, they're voting lifelong Democrats. This is the Democrat playbook. It's amazing that the Supreme Court said no, they can't do that. And they said no in a way that kind of signals, okay, this is my interpretation. They did not. uh, No one called me and told me this. But I think the Supreme Court is starting to look at the utter chaos emerging out of Washington, the lawlessness, the border unenforced, the border just chaos, intentional chaos, and they're sending a signal. You know what? We, we can't. We're, we don't. We're going to lose our country if we emerge and if we just float along this lawlessness. So I know that kind of went all over this place, in this, uh, all over the place in this uh, segment today. Uh, this particular segment I was talking about today's evils we must fight. But another evil we must fight is the abandonment of the rule of law, the presence of law, the idea that the same law applies to everyone, that we have to have borders or else we don't have a country. These are all things, if you want to stand up for America and have the same bravery and tenacity that those poor young men, average age, oh boy, average age of the American soldier who died in the beaches of Normandy, 19, 19, these are babies, these are babies, these are people who barely left home. Their mom, you know, may still had to make their bed in the morning. I don't know. 19 years old was the average age of death. So getting around to what America needs, America needs a new generation of soldiers, of patriots, and that can include men and women, people of every age, who recognize the extraordinary, unique greatness and fight against what the leftist, are doing to this country, the abandonment of the border, the abandonment of the rule of law, the racialization, the intentional racial division, the growing power of the federal government, and therefore loss of individual freedom, the takeover of elections, be in the fight for America on some issue or all issues, because that's what it takes in America in 2021 to defend this precious country. Okay, I have two other topics I wanna hit today. One is, I called it New York City, Yale psychiatrist. Okay, I kinda, I'll tell you, I got this story ready, and then I was reading again this person this person who whom you're about to hear she's actually a psychiatrist. I mean, she has patients and they come obviously they assume they have some kind of issues going on. They come to her because they, you know, need to have resolution and they uh, you know talk things out whatever. And this is this woman She is a New York City psychiatrist. She gave a speech at Yale, and I want to have Matt the Wonderful, I sent him uh, her speech, her, um, okay, I don't have her name, but I'm going to get it for you. Um, She is a, she spoke at the Yale School of Medicine, and I want to tell you the title of her talk before we hear a brief little clip. The title of her talk, this is Dr. Aruna Kilinani, Aruna Kilinani. Kilinani. She gave a lecture at Yale School of Medicine Child Study Center, Child Study Center, and her lecture was called The Psychopathic Problem of the White Mind. So we're going to put her picture up and let you hear what she had to say to these students at the Yale School of Medicine Child Study Center.
1: So if racism exists in all aspects of our world It also exists within our collective psychology. Everyone talks about systemic racism, but what does that mean? It means that it exists within our collective psychology, which means that culture is essentially white. It reflects a white mind. There is a psychological dynamic that is on PTSD repeat every time people of color attempt to directly talk to white people about race. The double bind of even bothering to talk at all. An eerie feeling that's familiar of intense rage and futility. We spend our time patiently explaining their attacks as they deny it. We are calm. We are giving to giving. And then when we get angry, they use our responses as confirmation that we're crazy or have emotional problems. It always ends that way. It happens every time like a goddamn timer. We just count it down. White people's expectation is that we need to take their attacks with gratitude and apologize for our anger, if not we're overly sensitive and crazy. Our rage is the real problem. Except nothing makes me angrier than a white person who tells me to not be angry because they have not seen real anger yet. (laughs) White people make my blood boil. Around five years ago, I took some action. I systematically, systematically, I'm going to do White ghosted most of my white friends, and I got rid of a couple of white BIPOCs that snuck in my throat, too. I stopped watching the news. Once I started, I couldn't stop. I had less than 1% left. It was also public service. I had fantasies of unloading a revolver into the head of any white person that got in my way, burying their body, and wiping my bloody hands as I walked away relatively gently. with a bounce in my death.
0: This woman treats patients. She's talking at the Yale School of Medicine, advocating for how proud she is, grateful she is, that she could unleash her hatred of white people. And she talked about, if you couldn't catch all the words, it was a little bit of marble um, kind of uh, uh, audio there. So here's what she said. I had fantasies of unloading a revolver into the head of any white person that got in my way, burying their body, and wiping my bloody hands as I walked away, relatively guiltless, with a bounce in my step, like I did the world an effing favor. She went on to say, talking, to, talking directly to white people about race is a waste of our breath. She got rid of all her white friends. Uh, she talked, I mean... She talked about, you can listen to the whole um, speech if you'd like. In fact, I think it's linked on our website. If it isn't, I can link it for you. But uh, someone actually recorded it. And I'm going to tell you two follow-up things. So she is unapologetically saying you should never try to resolve race relations. You should never try to talk to white people. I mean, many, many sentences started with white people do this or don't do that. And they think this or they don't think that. As though every single white person in America or on the planet or in America thinks all the same things, voices all the same feelings, has all the same conduct, when nothing could be more ugly and racist than what she is saying. To judge anyone by this color of their skin based on the conduct of somebody else with the same skin color is definitional racism. It's fundamental racism that you look at someone and say, because of your skin color, I know what you think, what you feel, what you believe in. I know everything about you. You don't have to open your mouth. And she's teaching this to students in medical school. How can she? She should not be a psychiatrist anywhere in the planet. But she's so proud of her hatred. She's proud of her hatred. So after this lecture, there were, a criticism was leveled at Yale, and what are you guys doing, letting this lunatic come and speak? And they defended her by saying, "Well, she's not really a lecturer at Yale. She was a guest lecturer. You know, we don't like her profanity because she had a lot of f bombs in there. We don't like her profanity, as so though that was the problem. The pro- profanity was the problem, not the fact that she is advocating racism." But well, she's a product of the education system in our country. She's a product of the culture that the left has worked to cultivate for decades. She's an outcome. She's the product of the effort of the American left to racialize, divide, and bring hatred between the races, among the races in America. She's just an outcome. She feels morally justified, lumping all white people together. And think how outrageous it would be if a white person were to say this about any other skin color, race, ethnicity, or national origin, we know better. We don't talk that way. But somehow she can talk that way. It's okay for her to talk that way because, after all, she's condemning white people, and it's okay in her worldview to hate white people. So Yale gets some pushback. They say, "Hey, you know, she's just a guest lecturer. Whatever. We you know we didn't really. I, I mean, she's not really our person." And they apologize for the language. But the other thing that's so interesting was the, the um, speech wasn't intended to be public but somebody recorded it and put it up on one of these i don't even know a kind of squirrely website uh but you know you can you can hear it it was recorded the audio was you can't see it but the audio is there but then this doctor this psychiatrist who actually treats other, she, has, she has a mental problem herself she is not mentally well she's actually completely crazy but she treats other people she gives a speech yale gets pushed back And instead of having an an iota of embarrassment, like, maybe I shouldn't have said that. I got a little carried away there. Not at all. She put out a request on TikTok to Yale. Please make my whole speech public. I want the whole thing to go public. Please make it public. Not even kidding. She actually did that. So when you talk about what to be against in America and the evil in America and what to fight that is evil today, that attitude... She hates white people, and she puts them all together. That's like anyone saying of any other race or ethnicity or national origin, well, this group always does this. They always do that. They always think this. Everyone understands that is the core of racism. And everyone knows it's evil, and we don't do it, and we get after other people who do do it. She does it at a speech at Yale, and all Yale can come up with, well, sorry, she said a few F-bombs. This is a good example of things to rise up against, to protest, to write to Yale, to complain, say you need to be denouncing her. You need to be denouncing her because she's a racist. I don't think that'll happen, but it's what should happen. And this is the kind of thing you talk about being brave in America. Speak up about these kinds of things. Speak up. If you went to Yale, heaven, you know, heaven help you. But if you went to Yale, complain to them. Complain to the, as an alumni, not donating money anymore until you get this lunatic person uh, banned from campus and told she can never speak there again. She has to feel the pushback of the real America, the broad swath of America of every race, ethnicity, national origin, skin color, who all of us, the vast majority of Americans, detest the racism she exhibited. One more topic today on Fixing America. Okay, so I sent Matt this. I have to tell you, so I have a friend uh, who sent me this picture I'm going to ask Matt to put up. So she was, before I put it up, I'll tell you, she was shopping at Neiman Marcus, number one, where I don't ever shop because it's very expensive. And number two, she was, uh, this is a mural. You're about to see a mural that is up at Neiman Marcus here in Dallas, Texas, a mural outside the St. John's Department. And in case you don't know, St. John's is a clothing line, of which I Own Zero, a clothing line where, I mean, it's so extraordinarily expensive, so outrageously expensive, that nobody buys St. John except for really, really wealthy people. Uh, yours truly not included. But at the Neiman Marcus store, high-end store, outside the St. John's department, where it's very expensive clothing, this mural was is painted on the wall. I'm going to put it up and have it, uh, Matt leave it up while I tell you a few things about it. So... This, said, this is a mural in which the um, center of it says, we will be part of the solution. It's obviously got a heart. You know, heart is a big theme. Okay. It says BLM, the top left, BLM, um, and it has the word uh, love and then equal sign justice. So equal justice. Equal justice is a good thing. Depends what you mean by it. Uh, check your privilege. So that is an affirmation of white privilege and telling people you should check your privilege, meaning stop thinking you're so great just because you're white, even though people don't think they're great because they're white. But this is what the message is. And then the bottom, love, um, um, another equal sign, community. And over there on the right, love. I think what it says is blocked by that piece of... This is a friend of my uh, picture my friend took, and it's blocked by the artwork, wherever that is. I think it's actually a candle... Um, based that's blocking it. But I think that on the right it says love, support, LGBTQ US. So it's equal, equal, everything equal. And what my friend was saying was, so this is painting is up outside this high-end department. And she was saying that as people were walking by, they were mothers and daughters, again, to shop in this department. If you're really thinking about buying St. John's at Neiman Marcus, you're spending a lot of money. But People were standing by the sign "Mother-Daughter" and having their pictures taken. I mean, not just one or two, but it was kind of a thing. People waiting in line. Oh yeah, I'm getting a picture too. I'm so proud. Look at me. I'm so proud. And so they're all standing there, getting their picture taken uh, at Neiman Marcus. I mean, taking their own pictures uh, with the message of uh, BLM, which is a Marxist organization, Communist Chinese Party funded, Communist Chinese Party funded Marxist organization that advocates defunding the police and ending. Capitalism and bringing in Marxism, that's what BLM is. Uh, They have uh, equal justice, which of course depends what you mean by that. If you mean the rule of law equally applied to all, yes. If you mean that we're going to have, uh, you know, uh, racial. assessment of every single uh, law and decision and decide somehow that unless the the, uh, percentages perfectly line up, uh, we must be a racist country. Uh, Check your privilege. This is a massive effort in America's colleges and universities to say, to buy into the whole BLM 1619 project, hate America, hate white people, divide America. That's what check your privilege is all about. The the premise of check your privilege is that America is foundationally a white supremacist country, that white privilege is rules the day, that America is a deeply racist country, that most people of uh, who are not don't happen to be Caucasian Americans are victims, that America has uh, just a, a a boatload of sins and evils behind it that must be condemned, and so the beginning is. Of, of solving all of this great evil they have put together is that white people must check their privilege. And then, um, I, I don't know, the love community thing is on the other side, LGBTQ support. Um, love is equal. I, as I say, I can't really see that one. But I want to get at the point of why I find this so amazing and, um, and troubling, and what it means in this theme of standing up for America today, like the soldiers stood up on D-Day, if that painting, if the groups behind that painting, the BLM group, and Antifa, which wasn't listed as far as I could see, but, you know, they have locked arms. BLM and Antifa are both anti-American, uh, anti-freedom, and they, they want to defund the police. They're anti capitalist They're pro-Marxists. They're funded by the same left-wing CCP-affiliated organizations. That's what Antifa and BLM are. Their message is not, let's fight for racial equality. That's not the message. If it were, I would get my picture by it. It's not about racial equality. It's about agreeing that America itself is an evil nation, fundamentally racially flawed, fundamentally racist, that racism, white supremacism, white privilege is everywhere, under every rock, that, the, that America is a barely survivable country because of the profound racism here. That's the message of BLM. That's the message of the leftists who organized that, that group, BLM, who pushed the agenda, who pushed the defund the police, who pushed the utter attack on America itself as a message of the 1619 Project out of the New York Times. It was not to raise understanding. It was to cultivate hatred of America. Cultivate hatred of America because the agenda of the left is inconsistent with the promises of America, the America First agenda, America the free, America of the Declaration of Independence, America the Constitution, everything about America that is true and real and good. The foundational ideas, the Declaration, the Constitution that made America the most prosperous nation, full of opportunity for people of every race, ethnicity, skin color, national origin, better than all our countries on Earth, those foundational ideas are impossible for leftists to support, to embrace. They can't leftists want to live in a government controlled society and they want to be in charge and they want to be in control and they're going to control every bit of your life. It is the point of leftism is totalitarian government. It is control over everyone else. The avenue of attacking America along racial lines is just one tactic the left uses. To divide America, to convince Americans that we have a terrible country in need of being cured and fixed and healed. This is the entire goal of the left. They use race and they use people who fall into line under the BLM flag to divide the country and eventually to grow their own power. Now, I'm gonna make very clear America is not a perfect country, it was not perfect at the founding, is not perfect today did have slavery at the founding, and continue to have segregation in America into the 1900s, obviously. We had the Civil Rights Movement. We didn't have, women didn't have the right to vote. Women, half the population, over half the population, didn't have the right to vote. America was not perfect as founded, but it was the best set of ideas, the most extraordinary, unique ideas that ever created a country. And ever since the founding, people who love America have been trying to carry forth those ideas to make it a better union, more perfect union, meaning actual equality under the law, equal rights under the law. Actual rights for women and every single person of every skin color, race, ethnicity, national origin, to have the same rights to have, to have a, a justice system that has a rule of law, law equally applied. It's never been perfect. But leftists who push the BLM agenda, the Antifa agenda, are not trying to keep America but make it better. They're trying to destroy the foundational premises of America to embolden the leftist control over society. And this is what you see coming out of Washington. We haven't even started yet on what's going to come out of the Green New Deal and the utter control over every aspect of your life contemplated in that bill. We have started to see how the left, when given a small amount of power, We'll start to talk about taking guns away, pushing gun confiscation, pushing, just pushing division out. I'm almost out of time of the show Tanner. I may come back to this tomorrow. I think that the people who put this painting up at, the, at Neiman Marcus, they may be very innocent. And actually, the moms and daughters standing there getting their pictures taken, they may be very innocent they may think that all they're standing for is racial equality and racial understanding and racial justice, and all they're standing for is making America a better place, more of, full of love. And so I'm, I'm not saying that everyone who, who liked this painting had their picture taken or everyone who's ever been involved in BLM is, you know, is, is guilty of or is part of the agenda in destroying the country, destroying America as founded but the people pushing it, the people funding it, the people orchestrating it, the people urging it on, the radical left including out of communist china which has very directly related to funding BLM and Antifa, they know what they're doing. They're not just trying, they're not even at all trying to fix racial relations in America. Or make it a, a better place. They're trying to d- destroy the very heart and soul, the very foundational liberty upon which America was founded. We have to have our eyes open enough to recognize what they're doing, and not fall for a sappy painting and stand there and smile when we, because we don't know better, because we don't know what these groups are really all about, and as and. We'll be talking more during this week, as I mentioned at the start, about the role communist China has played, the Chinese Communist Party has played in this downfall of America, this attack on freedom of America, this the infiltration of Chinese communists uh, throughout our country. And what they are pushing subtly is propaganda, turning Americans, Americans into hating America. We have to be learned enough to say we're not going to fall for that. We could talk more about that, but I'm out of time. So as I do at the close of every day, every show, I tell you what the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start with D-Day and 77 years later, why it matters. Honoring D-Day, June 6, 1944, has kind of slipped, especially when Biden and Harris forgot about it. Observances are more scattered, less publicized. The courage and sacrifice to defeat evil are still required. The stakes in 21 are as high as they were in the 1940s. Nazism and totalitarian Marxism are not that different in their antipathy to America and freedom. The courage and sacrifice of today does not involve soldiers and guns and taking cliffs. It requires standing up for the rightness of American ideals in the face of mockery cancel culture, weak churches and pastors and Twitter mobs. It requires standing up for the rightness of American ideals, requires resisting the radical left agenda emanating from the beltway, especially the racializing of everything and the censorship of truth, requires intelligence and discernment to recognize communist China for the aggressive and mortal threat to freedom that it is. And our New York City, Yale psychiatrist who proudly advocated kill the whites This woman speaks of the whites, the whites, the whites, as if she lives in South Africa under apartheid. This is what Yale defends under academic freedom. She wants her full lecture publicized. She's proudly canceled all her white friends. This is the poison of decades of unresisted anti-American leftism. Is there anyone anywhere who believes this attitude will lead or could possibly lead to anything good. Americans must reclaim their culture, speak up for truth. All men and women are created equal. And finally, the Neiman Marcus in defending America today, blatant virtue signaling at very high-end retailer, photo ops with a pro BLM mural, assuaging white guilt. National Geographic editor in chief signs off on a letter to subscribers, uh, race card, white privilege with much to learn. National Geographic, the racialization goes everywhere. Elitists everywhere claim America's founding ideals are outdated or outgrown. They are not, and they never will be, but they must be retaught and relearned. Even Neiman Marcus shoppers must push back against wokeism. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time.